Hello, this is Family Elected Ghost. Hi there, this is Shalia. Hi, we are recording. So okay. welcome to the show. Uh, we are a podcaster. We interview, uh, we've been interviewing artists since 2018. So welcome to the show. Thank um, you so much for welcoming me. <laughs> so Shalia, that's how we pronounce your name, right? Yes, I mean, you put an extra emphasis on that Shah, <laughs> but it's Shalia, um, Shalia. And what I like to tell people is that it rhymes with Aaliyah, and okay. that kind of helps to cement with the word association. But yes, I'm Shalia. Shalia, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, you sent us a lot of good background information. We sent you the, the, the actual questions. So we're going to start and kind of integrate what you've sent us um, with our, our questions. So the first question we ever, we always ask any artist that we talk to is, when did you first get into your art form and music is what you do. You do also do dance as well, right? That's correct. <laughs> yes. So I don't so, know which one you want to start with that music or dance. I'll start with music because I was born into it. My mother is also a singer and a pianist and she was a choir director for the church that I grew up going to. Um, and she was a part of the um, gospel music workshop of America. So she, I was, I was born into the church, I would say, which made me also be born into music because she was my very first musical influence. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she, she just exposed me to music from a very early age, like at birth, literally. So, were you in those choirs? <laughs> were you in? The I was absolutely in those choirs. I was in those choirs. I was leading songs as a little girl. Like I just was fully engulfed in that experience. Um, the church experience, the choir experience, singing, leading, um, and then eventually even liturgical dance. But I didn't quite start out with dance in church. Um, but anyway, yeah. So that's where I got my start musically. And then eventually it became something that I knew I wanted to do professionally and that I couldn't live without it. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> That's interesting because if you go back, you know, in the day and you read about music history and like a lot of the Motown acts, you know, Aretha Franklin and, you know, and just a lot of, a lot of the black singers um, from, from that, you know, either Stax or Motown or any of the labels, they all mm-hmm. came out of that kind of gospel tradition or they came out of the blues tradition or they come out of jazz. Very um, true. <laughs> um, so it seems like that's kind of like, like the starting point where you'll get some other musicians that come out of the conservatory, they'll come out of classical but right. as African-Americans, we kind of have that as our base. Absolutely. You just said it like gospel, blues, jazz uh, for a lot of us. Um, that's that that's our start, you know, and there are a few of us who have that conservatory. But uh, at, at the beginning of our careers and but a lot of us don't. And it's you know, it's just we just get it from the dirt. <laughs> yeah, we kind of feel it. Like my grandpa, you know, he's a coal miner in West Virginia never taught how to play anything. He just pick up a banjo or a mandolin. He could just do it, you know. And it's wow. Like, and I, I kind of kind of got it, I believe, from his side, my side, my mom's side of family, because he could just pick up any instrument and just play it. And That's I, amazing. I, and I was able to kind of just pick up keyboards. My brother picked up guitar. And we just kind of felt it. And we kind of, we didn't get any really formal training. We just kind of picked up on it because we had the same kind of bones and we were listening the gospel, we're listening to Motown, listening to, you know, Biles Davis or Coltrane. And we're like, okay, we're just going to feel it and pick it up from that, you know. <laughs> that's beautiful. Like my mom, that's how she was with the piano. She picked up the, the piano. Somebody 
um, that was an elder to her at one point, like, you know, showed her a few things and then she just picked it up from there. My brother, he's a bass player. Um, shout out to the Victor. Uh, but yeah, he's a producer as well. But yeah, he picked up the bass. Mm. And so, yeah. <laughs> so, so from there, like, it's not, I mean, I've re- I read some of your background, but you mm-hmm. realized you had a talent because your mom probably saw it and, and nurtured it in, in the choir. So you were, you were doing it on Absolutely. Your own. But when did you feel like you wanted to write your own material? Because it's one thing about being, you could be a gospel singer, you could be a music, and you never write your own. I mean, you might write your own gospel music, but a lot of people, sometimes they get into music and they're session players or they, they play, you know, they don't play their own music. So how did you feel like mm-hmm. that you wanted to get into writing your own music? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. So from a very early age, even when I was engulfed in the gospel world, my mom had a best friend. Her name is Phyllis. Um, bless her dear soul. She has passed on from us now. But Phyllis was very influential in my music career as well. She actually was a songwriter. And like I said, she was best friends with my mom. So I saw that. I saw her writing song, songs, teaching them to choirs, introducing them to choirs, and then having the choirs lead them. So I saw the power in that. And she even um, allowed me to um, be a part of that process, uh, leading songs, allowing me to be in adult choirs, which was a, a big deal at the time. Mm-hmm. So I saw that uh, modeled for me. So that so since I saw it modeled, I knew that it was possible. And then eventually, I think right around like middle school was when I started playing around with writing lyrics. But I would say in high school was when I really, really got into writing poetry and then some of those songs, I, I mean, some of those poems I would turn into songs. So I don't know. It was just like something happened. Something switched in me in high school. And I just became this poet. And it was I was a private poet because I wasn't going around like reciting my poems. It was very, I was very private about it. But that was I would say that was the beginning of my songwriting career. That's interesting because a lot of singer songwriters I've talked to like 40 in the last two years they kind of have this story where they'll say they had, they, they were started as poets, you know, Mm -hmm. and and then they were kind of private about it. They didn't feel comfortable, but then they ended up taking that poetry and they ended up translating into songwriting, you know, and a lot of times poetry does end up translating for these singer songwriters into like the first steps of writing a song. It's kind of like the base of it. Um, Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. There's a lot of singer songwriters, and then they find a way to turn it into music where it work it translates better. Um, yeah, it's just formatting basically. Like, because obviously some poets don't become songwriters, um, but in order for you to for your poem to then become a song, then it has to fit that that uh, that right. format. Yeah, it's got to get the structure know. of like a popular song. A song that's actually going to have a hook. It's going to have a melody. It's going to have the chorus. Going to have a, you know, and all the exactly. elements of songwriting. And it changes the nature from a, like a beat poet, like a Harlem Renaissance poet. You know, it's a different thing. You're not going to be iambic pentameter. It's not going to actually work. You know, precisely <laughs> for a song. So you have to sit, you have to change it up. But it's interesting. So, who were your influences and reference points when you started to actually write your own music? Who did you feel that are are the people or the artists that you gravitated toward? Not that you wanted to, you know, clone what they were doing, but you were inspired by what they were doing. Ooh, okay. Um, so obviously there there's so many artists that inspire me and that I absolutely love and admire. 
Um, but I have to say, I guess in the earlier days of my songwriting, just to specifically pinpoint that time frame, I would say um, Erica Badu was very influential for me. Mm. Um, Sade, Lauren Hill, um, even Donnie Hathaway, because there's just, there's something just just so rich mm. about his tone, his approach to music, and it's just this deep felt soul. It was like that neo um, soul kind of soul sound, which I do hear. I do hear like fugi, fugies and. Uh, and you know, I do hear that. I do hear Lauren Hill in in, in your tone and what you're doing. And that thing, mm-hmm. <laughs> but but it, it, yeah, it just seems like there seems to be a lot of that retro neo soul. Like retro soul seems to get coming back a, really a lot right now. But um, yeah, but because you can I, really feel it. Yeah, I mean, it's just that Motown sound. I mean, the reason I love Motown, you hear the Funk Brothers on a track, and you're like, wow, you know, it's just the the nature of, of like, I'm, I'm a keyboard player and I'm kind of like into the technical stuff, but this, this listening to the drummers, Motown drummers used to always just, you know, trip me out because the level of precision and it might mm-hmm. seem simple, but the, what they're doing mm-hmm. is so well defined. And it's like, you know, in the age of drum machines, you know, having a real drummer, <laughs> it's, yes. it's like a revelation when I listen to those things. <laughs> Yes, and you know, when somebody is really good, they make it look like what they're doing is easy. And then you go and try it, and then you find out, oh, it's not as easy as I thought. Yeah, the, the, the level of skill with the, the Motown sound and the stacks drummers and, you know, the guys working in the soul, you know, arena uh, is, like, unbelievable. You know, I was watching exactly. some documentary about this guy, Purdy. He created the Purdy Shuffle. And they, he brought the Purdy Shuffle from, like, Motown to, like, Steely Dan. You know, he was a session right. musician for Steely Dan, and he had such a skill set that he was like doing recordings for tons of people. And um, it's just the, the level of precision when you go and look at it, it seems simple, like you said, but it's like it's a lot more complicated than what it was. Um, exactly. And that's the kind of the nature of music that I've always been kind of drawn to is like the precision, of it. it's like the creativity of it. Um, mm-hmm. So, so you, would you say that your your style is in the neo neo soul? genre or would you kind of say we're more contemporary or kind of open to any style well I think my personal style is definitely a blend of contemporary soul R&B and Mm hip-hop um with some jazz elements you don't really hear the jazz as much in my own personal music Mm -hmm. but when I'm featured uh with certain other artists like the Victor I've been featured on his most recent project called Begin to End yeah um that has more of a hip-hop uh, jazz if you a fusion sound um but my own personal style yes definitely soul r&b and what in a lot of times that's considered neo soul <laughs> so yeah so like you, your background showed that you you had like um over over 10 years of professional experience as, as a working mm-hmm. musician you were mm-hmm. a national recording artist you're a touring artist uh, you had been the co-lead singer of the RB funk group Watersteed. Can you kind of talk about mm-hmm. about that that experience? Well, I've had, you know, you can imagine over 10 years, <laughs> a lot has happened. So I've been able to do multiple national tours. Um, I even did a, a three-month residency in Russia where I performed, you know, multiple nights a week. I'm going to say, yeah, four nights a week for three months in, in Russia. 
which was a life-changing experience, opened my eyes up to a lot of different things as far as how people are living in other parts of the world mm. uh, and also how we're living. And you know, when you travel abroad, it just, it tends to just expand your horizon. But it was a great, it was a great experience and it really allowed me to hone my craft because I really didn't have anything else. Like that was it. And the people were really happy that we were there. Um, were they, they really, really into they, what you were doing? I mean, I, I, they I, were. Yeah, I've they were very much like so welcoming. European. Well, I was in Japan for two years and I was just like amazed by the kind of nature, like the Japanese when I lived in Tokyo, the fact that you could go to like Shibuya like, or you could go to an entertainment district and there was like all these Japanese bands trying to mirror or, or mm-hmm. like jazz, rock. Right. Yeah. They they just loved them. And some of them are really good, right? Yeah. They were (laughs) like like, amazing. Yeah. They were emulating and not trying to rip it off, but they, some of them were emulating, you know, like Coltrane and stuff. And you're like, wow, they really dig American music. And that's what I really got into. So was it the same thing in Russia? Did they really dig like African American blues, uh, hip hop, soul? Is that what, what the feeling was that they really appreciated it? Well, not only did they really appreciate it, that the, now they were not uh, emulating it. They were not trying to do it on their own. They brought us there for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they very much so appreciated our performance. And we were like the only African-Americans in the city. Uh, dare I say the, you know, definitely not the country, but I didn't see any other any other people that look like me there Mm. and you might think in the situation like that like oh well you know was it hostile or whatever but no Mm. they were very very welcoming they were intrigued they had so many questions they followed me around a lot of pictures all of that it's like very very famous (laughs) (laughs) definitely had that that fame experience there so treated um, like the Beatles or something (laughs) yeah it, it just like that it was amazing like literally like hundreds of people following me in the street um but yeah it, it was great it was um it was quite an experience <laughs> so as a, as a touring artist it's a whole different thing than like you know more of a a session artist or a person that doesn't mm-hmm. actually you know there's an artist like you know a big band like i love steely dan they just decided they didn't want to tour anymore and they just became mm-hmm. like the way the beatles did at the end of their career all they did is stay in the studio um which mm-hmm. is a, kind yeah. of where everybody is right now <laughs> yeah but, yeah out of necessity yeah but but it's kind of like i I think one of the good things the great things about being a musician is that crowd interaction like like when you, oh, you perform yeah. so what, what what are your feelings about like how you know as a musician a lot of times we 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 can kind of we actually can give more because we're feeding off the crowd and in this new kind of environment where we can create music but we don't have that interaction with the the people is that has that yeah, become something that makes it harder for you to create because you don't have that, or have you found a way to to deal with that? Um, it, it, you know, that's a very fair question because I was just recently talking to a couple of my friends about this, and I was saying how much how different things are, and how much I do miss the stage. I miss that interaction. I miss that instant uh, gratification, if you will, that instant reaction and energy an exchange of, of, of energy with the audience. I do miss that, um, but there's always a trade-off, you know? So while I miss that, it's given me more time to really 
get into the lab and and knock out some things that I've been wanting to knock out for a while recording wise and it's forced me and I'm going to say this to you like I've said to many other people I really look at 2020 as the year of forced evolution that's what it was for me that's what it was for so many other people that I know and even looking at it from um uh a looking at it from a grander scale if you will a lot of things have been forced to evolve and, and I feel the same way for my own personal career. So, you know, I, I've been dabbling with the guitar for a while, but I got on the guitar and I'm actually playing the guitar on two of the tracks from my upcoming um, project that I'll be releasing awesome. in April. Awesome. Um, so yeah, I'm actually playing the guitar on that. So just, so even though I do miss the live performances and the stage and having that interaction, it's forced me to become more engaging with my audience virtually. So like I said, it's a trade-off and I do look forward to getting back onto the stage. And I think I'm going to have to be willing to travel more to places that are more open because there are places that you could go to perform. Yeah. Um, it's just not, you know, it's not as open as it, as it used to be. So, so you're talking about the lab and like, I have my own like home studio. Is that what you're referring? Do you have your own home studio where you work things out in your DAW or do you primarily like to go to like established studios and work stuff out that way? Or do you have your own home studio where you work up your demos? I'm actually in the process of building um, more of a home studio, but I'm, I have the equipment to do a lot of pre-production at home. So I have recording, uh, recording equipment or uh, recording programs and mm. and mics and that kind of thing but i am also in the process of making that even better like upgrading that forced evolution i was talking yeah, about because yeah. i'm also you know i'm writing and collaborating with artists that are in different places atlanta and seattle um so there's a lot of file sharing and i don't especially with the times we're living in right now I don't feel comfortable always having to go to somebody else's studio. So yes, I, I, I have access to studios and I do that too, but I've been doing um, more from home. So I'm actually, I don't know if I should say it yet because I'm not making my official announcement until my video releases next week. So I, okay, I won't say it yet because I don't okay. want to put a new, it out a new there. Project and ready but to drop. It, it, let's just, yes, I do. Well, so the project, I can talk about that. This this announcement is more of a life announcement that I want to hold off on. Um, but as far as the project, yes, that the project will be dropping in April. Uh, and I'm releasing a new video for that project uh, next week. Awesome. January 28th. I'm excited. Well, the cool thing about our podcast is that if that comes out, once that comes out, we can update this um, on all of our platforms. So we go out to like 11 platforms automatically including Apple Yay. and Spotify and Radio Public and all, all of them. But, um, yeah, we have the ability to put hyperlinks. So we will put your overall link, and so it, that will probably push wherever whatever's out there. Um, but we can put specific links on as well. Um, so, yeah, that w we'll, we'll be happy to do that. Um, yeah, but it was Thank interesting you. when you're talking about, like, the home studio situation because the story, like, my, my whole band is, like, we're, I live in New Hampshire and there's really nothing going on. And kind of progressive electronic. I, what I do is typically like in Berlin or London, the type of people who want to hear what I do. Um, Makes sense. I live in New Hampshire, mm -hmm. so it's like so. I've been working with people overseas since you know a lot, you know, before the pandemic. Right. And I had like my own home studio, and I I was doing the kind of file exchange thing before it was a thing. 
and now it seems like the whole world is like where I was since 2017. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, That's exactly what it is. But it's interesting now that this, I remember when I was doing it, people were like, oh, you know, you really should go through the studio. You really shouldn't do that yourself. You really, you know, and I'm like, well, you know, I've kind of built my whole brand on doing it myself. <laughs> and uh that's awesome that you can do it yourself yeah it's just kind of like you know, self-reliant the control freak you kind of think about like my heroes are like stevie wonder and hendrix you know right? and stevie wonder used to be famous for just if he wanted to do the drums he'd do it himself you know he, he would okay. actually go do it if he thought he, he was going to get to what he wanted um and, yeah. and he would even pick up a bass and do it um and so i kind of come from that idea like the, the princes and the stevie wonders of the world they, they yeah exactly. you want to do it you can't wait for everybody to show up. Sometimes you just got to do it. <laughs> you cool. Self-reliance. I'm telling you, you are speaking my language because so many times, um, and it's wonderful to have people that you can depend on, but sometimes you just got to get it out. You just have to get it out. And other people are not always available. So if you have the capability to produce, especially multiple instrument sounds, that's excellent. Like, just, just get it done. Yeah, I mean, you're, just it's, get it's it done. always like if I could get a real drummer, like, I can't do it, but like, yeah, if there's a guy that's a drummer and he's done it for 30 years. Yeah, of course, he's going to pay, pay better than me. But sometimes it's like when you're a singer-songwriter, it's a whole idea about the singer-songwriters. Because there used to be all these writers in Tin Pan Alley mm-hmm. that would give stuff to Frank Sinatra, right? And But then they started singing it themselves. And that's kind of the art mm-hmm. of it. Well, sometimes you're not you're not going to be Diane Woolworth, you're not going to be Frank, you're not going to be Michael Jackson, but sometimes the honesty <laughs> of, of a singer-songwriter actually singing their own song, and they mm-hmm. might not have the five-octave voice or the pitch perfect, but it's kind of like, it's that honesty that they have because it's their material. Yes, so I think, absolutely. I think that's a whole different thing that sometimes people like lose sight of. <laughs> but, Very good point. Um, so when you... Um, you work today, you probably collab with people, you know, you've, you've been in bands, you know, you've been in groups, uh, I've seen mm-hmm. like you've got some new stuff where you said begin to end with the victor. Um, yeah. So, so what's your, you look like you're open to like working with people, you have your own projects, is that how you're continuing in 2021 where you're, you're doing your, your own work or you focus on trying to be like a solo act? Where, where are you in your career? Okay, so where I'm in my career I am absolutely focused on my solo artistry. Uh, My solo artistry as far as the recorded music, performing my um, original music, and also um, my career as a songwriter. And so I'm still open to collaborating as a solo artist. So there's um, an artist I'm working with right now, Teru, out of Seattle. Um, I'm, you know, I'm writing uh, with, well, for his organization, for his group, and I'm also performing on that. So I'm totally open to continue to collaborate, but just as a solo artist. So not not as a group member, <laughs> but um, yeah. So, and I'm obviously putting out my own solo project as well this year. So I, a lot of energy will go towards that. Do you find like in this new type of era of music that, that putting out, you know, conti- you know, continually putting out projects whether you're collaborating or working on your own stuff that compared to like the old days, sometimes an artist would put it on something every two years, every four years, but in this kind of playlist world, I see a lot of artists putting out stuff like every month or every two months or, or showing up on a feature. Do you feel like in this kind of market, there's more room to put out more material? 
I do feel that there's more room. I also feel that there's more pressure. I think because people are so accessible in general. Um, a lot of us are on multiple social media platforms. You can text, you can chat, you can FaceTime, you can do, there are so many ways to access people. I feel like people want that accessibility and the same with music. You drop something and it's like, okay, people, people like it. They'll listen. It's like, okay, it's slapping. But then it's like, okay, well, what are you working on next? You know, it's yeah. this, this culture, this drive hustle culture of constantly what's next what's next what's next so that's that pressure that i'm referring to and then because there is so much um accessible technology yeah if you have the means or you have the skill and the capability you can produce more from home um you can even take other people's tracks that you could just get online and just write to it record it put it out so um there is uh, almost like an expectation yeah. for you to put out more content more frequently. However, there's still the <laughs> the truth and the idea of of quality. Yeah. So you have the the quantity <laughs> versus quality. quality. Yeah. But you know, when you can marry the two, it's it's excellent. When you can you know pump out the products you know consistently and also keep it at a qual at a you know quality level. Yeah. That's that's excellent. I'm more so interested in quality right now, especially since I'm really establishing myself as a solo artist, since I have been involved with collaborations, groups and bands for quite some time. Now I'm really making my own statement. So it's important for me for the, to the, for the quality to be there. And also just to keep it completely 100, I had actually planned on releasing my project like a year ago. Oh, wow. Um, I'm releasing it in this spring, basically. But I wanted to release it last spring, but that was at the top of the shutdown because of the pandemic. Yeah. So yeah. I just ran into a lot of different hurdles. I still worked it. Yeah. I, like, I still got it recorded. It's done, As a matter of fact, it's literally being mixed right now. I had a great conversation with my mix engineer earlier today, just working through some of the levels um, on, a, on a couple of the tracks. But it just, it took some time. It took some time with, because of life circumstances. Was that because typically with, with um, you know, when you're trying to really be successful with the release, you want to be able to perform it? Is that in anticipation that you think you'll be able to find the venues like you mentioned that you, you're going to find, you have some, found some open venues that you can actually, you know, push your project live? Not necessarily just that. I mean, that is an element, the performance piece. But because there are different moving parts, uh, I guess on the back end, you could say, with the the business, the administration, with the production, you know, there are multiple people that are a part of this project. It's not just me. It's not just me and one other person, but there are multiple people involved. Okay. And because there are multiple people involved, everybody has to be aligned for it all to, oh, they you know, to be available out. to actually, you know, all of that, yeah, all, yeah, of that. all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, and they get you got to get yeah. the video in. You got to get the promotion. You got to get your your bookers and all everybody got. You don't want to pick it up. <laughs> so so here we are. Like finally, we're at we're in a space where it's like okay, everybody's in place. Let's get it done. <laughs> That's interesting because you know a lot of the artists I've talked to, they've been kind of like the COVID they've been in this mode where they've been, you know, doing what you said. I've talked to a lot of artists that have held their work back and have been 
you know, learning new mm -hmm. instruments, you know, guys that were bass players learning guitar, you know, guys that wanted to learn the drums and say, well, this is the right. time to learn it. Um, and so, you know, people picking up violin, pick up, doing all kinds of things, learning how to become recording engineers and then working on producing other people's records. Um, so it's again, yeah, people amazing. are just saying, okay, well, I can take this time and actually really, you know, build up my capabilities in some way. Uh, and not just sit there and, you know, stream Netflix. Mm -hmm. <laughs> go, 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 go and say, well, you know what? I can't do anything because I can't play at the club. It's like, no, you could, you could actually learn how to play, you know, something else or get back to what you do. Um, yeah. So I found the, yeah, right. I, you know I mean, I collaborated with a Canadian poet and we put out a spoken word, uh, wow. album, a little EP. And, you know, I, and we, we never met, we just did everything over the net and, uh, you know, you just never know what you, who who you're gonna deal with. I mean, I work I work with an actress that that, that really wants to be a musician, and I, I did like an EDM record. Um, and so you never know who you're gonna meet and what people want to do. And sometimes you can take advantage of of a skill set or work with somebody and say, oh, well, that that could that could work, and let's try it. You know. So I think that's um you know the nature of today's world is that you can still work with people even though you physically can't get together. Uh, I've actually had more opportunities yes. in the last year than, than I did when things weren't, you know, locked down. <laughs> I know what you mean by that. Like the, the, for me, the opportunities have shifted. So it's like, oh, okay, well I was planning on doing this and I was planning on doing that. That's no longer available, but look, these other opportunities came up. So I, I see exactly what you mean with that. And I would love to hear some of these yeah, projects you're working yeah, on. Yeah, it's just interesting, you know, because <laughs> I, I like to do very experimental things that kind of left a weird field. But uh, you know, I, I kind of came up showing mm -hmm. my age. You know, I'm a child of the 70s. I'm a child of, like, I used to listen to albums on vinyl. You know, I used to, I bought Purple Rain on vinyl when it came out. <laughs> but, wow, nice, though. Yeah, like, you got the original, original. original. <laughs> But um, it was just like the whole experience compared to today. The one thing I kind of miss is um, album-oriented projects. Because I grew up, you know, listening to songs in the key of life. My pop, my pop had it on vinyl. And he had the extra 78 that came with it. And it was like this whole big thing. When we sat down to listen to that, we listened to the whole, yeah, to the whole thing. Excellent. Because it was like, that's how you're supposed to listen to it. And my dad really got me into music. And he would sit down and like, listen to a whole James Brown like the payback, he listened to the whole thing. He's been grooving to it, and I'm like, "Yeah, that's Ooh. it." You know, <laughs> you know. Yeah, well, no, ten minute songs, yeah, like, <laughs> like the whole thing. The whole groove, because that's a groove band. It's like it goes on forever, and uh, um, and you're just right. You know, it's just a different experience today. You get people say, "Oh, you can only do two and a half minutes." You know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's where I am. Like there are. That is like the typical like two yeah. and a half minutes to four minutes tops for for the songs on my on my project yeah. because it is contemporary. But I definitely have like a huge huge appreciation for that music. Like everybody you just named, yeah, and I kind of like, still absolutely. in that zone where I do things that you know not typical. I got stuff going seven minutes, twelve minutes, fourteen minutes, and that's not what is in the market. I'm in a different part of the market, but but. That's that's kind of where my head's at, mm -hmm. and that's what I do. And from time to time, I'll do something that will maybe would work. You know, it'd be under three minutes, but it's my tendency is to go for the more mm -hmm. st stuff that's not current. But um, it's interesting. You know, I think today that there's a there's a you never know because you could you could do something 
that some big project and then some some sync licensing company takes like a, you know 30 seconds of it and you still get it out there <laughs> absolutely exactly yeah, so it's, there's it's, a space for all of that not everybody needs to fit yeah, that parameter yeah, so, I mean it's just all. interesting like, what, yeah. what you can do today because if you're open to the idea I've heard people that are really indie and kind of you know kind of like oh well I'm not going to sell out I'm not going to sync license I'm not going to let my stuff on a video game I can't let it be on you know that way, wait, 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 wait. Yeah, That's considered selling people, out. I, I, I've talked <laughs> to people kind of like, you know, indie kind of alternative bands that kind of got punk aesthetic and they're like very anti doing that. Um, because oh, okay. they just want to they, they just want to keep it what they okay. think is real. Um, I'm gonna say, well, being able to pay the bills is real, <laughs> very real. <laughs> But, you know, much respect to whatever an yeah, artist yeah, feels they yeah. have to do with their art because yeah, it's, it's a part of them. So yeah. I totally understand. I, I just, that was the first time I had heard that. I yeah, hadn't yeah, heard somebody yeah. say that <laughs> licensing was, was selling. Yeah, out. So well, I guess yeah, some, okay. some people are kind of like the starving artist mentality that they don't think it's real unless they're not making any money. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. And I, I'm so not on that at all. Like, I, I'm not... But, you know, sometimes you can get sucked into that. This is sort of on a tangent. Um, but since you spoke about the starving artist mentality, I think a lot of people, they do, they would love to be able to um, make a living wage or make ends meet with their, their talent and their art. But there is this pervasive mentality. And that mentality, I think, comes from a world, quite frankly, is I'll I'll say a country, you know, because I can't necessarily speak for how it is for other people who live in other countries. But so often we thrive on the art, we enjoy the art, we love the art, but then we don't necessarily support all. We don't. We're not consistent with our support. Just think about the child in the family who wants to become an artist. Oftentimes that's just not encouraged. It's not encouraged. It's like, well, how are you going to make money? That's the first oh, that's, thing yeah. a lot of parents yeah, want to say. How are you going to make money? <laughs> they say that because they know, they know the reality is that, oh, well, a lot of people are just not going to support that. How are you, how are you, where's the infrastructure for the artist? So it, it exists, but you really have to seek it out. It's not the same infrastructure, say, if you want to become a teacher, accountant, attorney doctor and so on you know for so many other um for yeah. fields um so yeah I, I, there's yeah. a lot more i can say about that but i feel like the arts are very important can you imagine life without the arts we try to a lot of people try to downplay it like oh you're just oh you're just having fun it's just a hobby blah 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 blah. no well, I mean, this, no, is, this me, is real and I mean, imagine life, your life without it I mean, you want this in America, your life really if you think about like the art form of jazz and blues. I was watching like a documentary on Lead Belly and Robert Johnson, the great blues artist, you know, a lot of Texas black blues men. And, and it was just, you know, there's so, they were so vital to actually the creation of rock and roll. You know, and, and everybody thinks about rock and roll being exactly. like, you know, like, like, you know, an English man's game, you know, it's like the who or Led Zeppelin, but you know, it's, it's our art form. We, we created it. And, you know, guys like Hendrix, you know, they're, lionized but you know, there's so many great bluesmen that never got to that hendrixian level um and i'm i'm kind of a, a a purveyor of that type of kind of funk like a george clinton bootsy collins hendrix uh you know uh, uh, uh curtis nice. mayfield and, and people are like you know black black people folks have been doing rock funk you know heavy grooves 
that created bands like Led Zepp and the Stones, you know, ahead of them <laughs> or in the middle of it. Yeah, and it's just like when people Absolutely. act like a, like, a, like a black band can't rock, it's like well, you don't know where rock came from. <laughs> I mean, a, a complete, um, and no shade to anybody, but a complete whitewashing, which has happened in a lot of different genres of music. <laughs> you know, it's like, hello, you check the history, check who influenced a lot of these big names that you know of now. It, you know, we, we're yeah, right there. Like we're all, right there all at the, the beginning. Forms are like right out there. there. I mean, we invented hip hop, which came, comes out of jazz, comes out of, you know, spoken word poetry, you know, the, the, the Harlem Renaissance poets. Uh, it's, it's all, it, you know, from from our kind of you know the pain of the American experience being turned into art, and that's the way I looked at it. Like if you think about it, like the the pain right. you know in 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 and all the great Harlem Renaissance poets, or you know the the kind of blues story of going to the crossroads, and you know those that type of story that the kind of good versus right. light and dark that is in blues and jazz. Uh, you know, Billie Holiday. You know, when you listen to her sing, you hear the pain. You know, you, you, but it's beauty, and it's like pain, and then there's beauty, and that's kind of like what we are able to take out of the American experience and create all these art forms. Um, and I think you know sometimes it gets lost, mm-hmm. uh, like <laughs> in in the market, but at least in the genre you're in, it's totally understood that that's where it's coming from. But in other genres, it's a little more uh, not as well understood. <laughs> Right. And a couple of things there that makes me think about the influence of my grandparents. Um, my grandparents really turned me on to blues. You know, obviously that was uh, when when blues was like really at its height. It was before my time. But I had grandparents that really introduced me to it. So I have a I definitely have a love for that, um, for blues yeah. itself. Just I have a lot of fond memories and, and sentimentality connected to the genre and and how how it started and what it's become it's it's something serious i feel like blues is very underrated uh but fortunately we do still have some blues festivals who are who are doing their best to keep it alive and and some blues artists who are absolutely still doing their thing which is great but the other point i wanted to make uh is about just going back to the economics of it um last i checked <laughs> at, at, at least at one point unless things have changed um, the entertainment industry is a big part of America's GDP. So let's not downplay the entertainment industry. So obviously yeah. I'm talking about all, you all know, art, yeah. movies, TV, film, music, all of the, right, the entertainment industry as a whole. Um, that's what a lot of people are getting when they when it comes to yeah, American I mean, art, art. That's what we, yeah. It's our entertainment. <laughs> art. So it's commodity yeah so it's like the life it's a part of the lifeblood and commodity yeah, out I mean, of america like we're not exactly building, so yeah, let's let's give it its just like due in, in 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 you know wuhan but 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 the, but the the big you know is the is the actual intellectual property of art you know and, and music and the film that we produce exactly and all the creative material that we produce is like our number one export it kind of represents America, you know, like I was saying, when I was in Japan, like Japanese kids were vibing to like, you know, Sly and the Family Stone. They were, they were vibing to Coltrane, they were vibing to yep. Sun Ra. Uh, and they were just totally like, wow, like, like if you, 
if I actually had like brought some Sunra record mm-hmm. with me and this Japanese guy was like freaking out because he was like, wow, that's the real, you know, it's the real thing. And an appreciation and an adoration for, 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 for you know, our artists mm-hmm. that sometimes were minimized. And a lot of times, a lot of our artists had to go and become expats, you know, to actually get appreciated, you know, to be actually understood. And Hendrix had to leave the u.s to begin and then come back as a king but where he left and then you know with Beatles right. appreciated him you know mccartney and lennon and clapton they all saw him and they said wow this guy's unbelievable he, he wasn't appreciated when he was on the chitlin circuit he was playing for little richard he was playing for the isley brothers he wasn't making any money and then yeah then he James got Brown? Exactly. Know, brought to mm-hmm. england and then they brought him <laughs> back in and then suddenly he was a superstar and that mm-hmm. kind of that kind of leaving and then coming yeah. back is kind of historic. There's a lot. There's a big pattern to that, <laughs> um, which we got to try yes. to you know get yes. our people here to <laughs> understand us before we have to leave. <laughs> but uh, so let me talk right. about like, two two songs that I've seen. Well, your single "Natural" um, is, is that mm-hmm. that was mm-hmm. released in 2020, but I wasn't sure like when in 2020 that was released and. I know you have your new album, but maybe you can talk about that song. Yeah, so Natural Natural was released in the latter part of 2020. And that's, I'm actually releasing the video. So it's sort of almost like a re-release or resurgence of that song. I'm releasing the video for Natural January 28th um, in the afternoon. So Basically, 12.30 Central oh, cool. Standard Time, I'll be releasing uh, or doing the video premiere for Natural. But yes, Natural is a song that was born out of um, my dating life, <laughs> being single. I'm single, single. And uh, I basically just woke up one morning thinking about um, like a crush and they almost like daydreaming about what it would be like to be in this awesome relationship healthy relationship where things are just going well and it's just kind of easy and so I started playing these chords on my guitar and it just it just flowed it just flowed out I'm playing the guitar I'm playing the chords the chords sound good and I just started singing the melody I started humming the melody and after I was humming the melody then the words started coming to me so that's how the, I mm-hmm. built the hook of the song and then from there it just it kind of wrote itself you know I built on that um, and then I brought in another songwriter uh, to work on the second uh, verse with me. So it's me and um, one other songwriter. And I have a vocal arranger as well uh, to bring the song to where you hear it, how, how you hear it presented now. But yeah, it just, it was born out of my real life experience. Do you find that like when you write songs, do you kind of take a part of your life experience or some artists like to kind of create a story and they say it's about somebody else you know they'll they'll, they'll create a like a short story is a song and then it's like characters but a lot of times those characters really relate to something that happened to them but they try to remove themselves a little bit to make it a little more comfortable but do you find that you, you like to be more direct well, I, or do you yeah do the other um I love to just build from my own personal experience and embellish. <laughs> That's usually what I do. It's something that I know about or I've experienced or I know somebody pretty close to me that has pretty much experienced it. But when, the more personal um, 
but I, I just I think I, I'm one of those artists that come from a very very personal place but it's never 100 yeah. percent uh, my life it's always embellished it always has other elements uh, that I add to it so yeah that song um, it's it's done really well for me people people say that it makes them feel a certain way a lot of people say it makes them feel kind of sexy or it, it puts them in the the mood or the mode of like of that mm-hmm. partnership that I'm talking about but it's very it's alluring because it's not like the typical love song if you will whatever the typical love song is but it just has a very almost like a whimsical yeah. light-hearted naivete very naive when it comes to the idea of of but, i guess falling in love and that's something that i like about it it's very very in, light-hearted where people are so direct i like the use of like natural and the kind of vibe it brings up it kind of you know i'm a child of the 70s so i kind of feel like a, like a 70s vibe in a way you know from that because people used to talk about you know natural born folks you know they you know the idea that, that you're kind of going oh, back yeah. to nature and that you're going to be or you know an organic experience or something but this this thing where it's like it's real it's coming from the heart and it's kind of like you know that whole feel right and today sometimes people with hip-hop and rap they've gotten kind of like totally aggressive and totally in, in your face and maybe like a little <laughs> too risque a little really out there and not that that's a bad you know there's all kinds of cool stuff out there but sometimes it's cool to have like the the talent of a songwriter is sometimes to have the like the nuance you know and and, and i think the nuance mm, is, is it's just like a poet you know why do you choose certain words because you're trying to make it mean mm-hmm. something and if, if you're too direct and too you know <laughs> It gets to a point where it's okay. Is that art, or are you just trying to shock value? You know, you know. But, <laughs> so, you never know. But um, I get your but, point. Uh, yeah, and I, and I listen to all types of genres, so I don't want I don't want to mumble rap or getting mad at me. But you know, um, you know, it's it's kind of what it is. Uh, but then, like, I was look, listening to "Begin to End" with uh, the Victor, and um, mm-hmm. and, and I like that track mm-hmm. a lot. So. How, how did you get, um, what's your, yeah, I know you, you were singing, like, were you involved in the, in the actual creation of the, you know, the, the structure of the song or you were just brought in to, to do the vocals or what's the collab on that? So the song was produced by um, the Victor and um, the Victor and I are very close. We go back a long time. Like I've known the Victor my entire life. So we have a certain understanding mm-hmm. when it comes to music. So whenever we get in the room together and we start working on something or we we do file sharing, mm-hmm. there's always an element of just understanding there. So this was something else. Um, he started writing it about a situation uh, in my life. And I'll just be open about it. Like um, I was married once. <laughs> so I went through a divorce and he was fully aware of it because, you know, of course, I talked to him about it. And I think this song, he was sort of inspired to write this song based on the experience that I told him that I, that I was having. And so um, that's why it's begin to end. So it's dealing with the end Mm -hmm. of, of a relationship, which you can hear. Uh, You hear me going through that, uh, through the, through us going through it lyrically. So he sent me the idea, the track for it. Um, was pretty much, you know, built out at that point. It had a really strong and solid framework and foundation. 
Uh, and then I wrote I wrote my verse to it, but he had already written the course and like I said, produced uh, the instrumentation. And so I wrote my verse and we came together on the vocal arrangement of it. And uh, actually we recorded it in Houston, Texas, which is where I'm from. And uh, that, you know, the rest is history. And now you have the, the current version of it. We went from pre-production with from file sharing to getting in the same room, hashing it out, recording it together in Houston. And um, he's actually in New York. So by the time we got to the point of releasing it, you know, he was there. I'm, I'm here where I am. And, you know, we got it mixed. And now it's on his on his full project. And I'm actually on one of I'm featured on another song on that project, too. So there's the title track begin to end. And I'm also featured on his song um, on a Sunday. And on a Sunday actually talks a lot about what I was saying about my earlier life as far as coming up in church. It's, there are a lot of personal references to um, yeah. what, what it was like on Sundays. <laughs> so yeah, I, I was listening to that project that, so and yeah. I was, I was going to mention that yeah. other track that I saw that you were on that too. And uh, yeah, it's, it's cool that to actually hear how songs are constructed. That's why I like to get in depth on these podcast interviews because you get to hear like sometimes like when you're doing a collab, it's the kind of, you know, it's a, maybe the other songwriter heard a story you know, like he said, he knew your story and then he incorporated it into the music. And I've been in mm-hmm. like rock bands where, you know, uh, somebody you know, had like a line and they just say some line and then boom, that triggers something mm-hmm. in me. And then I'll run and, and do a chord progression on my Moog, you know, and then suddenly the drummer hears that and then they do this. Mm-hmm. And so it's like a told everybody's, you know, actually contributing to the song, you know, and it, and sometimes it's interesting in music where you get some right. bands where they act like only two people really did it when like five people did, it. <laughs> you know. And <laughs> yeah, the credit oh, issues. the credit, the credit, credit like issues. Get, yes, you know, I understand. Like, <laughs> like the Eagles, you know, is the big famous thing uh, where John Felder actually came up with the with the hook yeah. for for Hotel Cal- California. He's a guitar player. So Don Felder is an eagle, oh, and he's a guitar player okay. in the eagle. And they have Joe Walsh, he's another guitar player. And then you have Don Henley, drummer, and Glenn Fry. But Glenn Fry and Don Henley both said, you know, oh, well, we're the primary songwriters. You just came up with the riff. But that riff is like the whole structure of the song. <laughs> and so to not give him writing credit, well, we're just going to pay you work yeah. for hire for that. <laughs> And so that actually led to the breakup of of of, mm. of of the Eagles because of the bad blood because of that situation. Because when that song ended up becoming such a big hit, and then you only got like a one time payment, and then you kind of that, oh man, that's gonna make that's that's God, that's enough to leave anybody salty. <laughs> so they created created kind of this bad blood in the band that ended up causing the fights, and then they end up not being able to work together anymore. And it's kind of like you know. To me, when you're a writer and you work with other people, you kind of should give people credit. Like a band like REM, they kind of they came up with this idea. Okay, everybody's getting 25 percent because we're a band. We don't know where it's going to come from, so everybody just gets 25. We're a four piece band. Everybody gets a piece, and and they 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 survived until they decided to mm-hmm. stop. Um, but but you know sometimes a lot of fights have been because people don't think to be kind of fair. Um, 
Oh, I'm very, very much so familiar with that concept that the lack of fairness, been there, done that. Yeah. Um, not interested in doing it again. <laughs> but yeah, you're you're absolutely right about that. That that credit piece is so, so very important. I actually used to cover Hotel California. So I'm, now I'm thinking about that. I'm like, I might, might want to bring that back to my set. It's a great yeah, call. It's just but I, I never knew the history. You never understand with, uh, like how, how some people who are musicians could do that to another musician. <laughs> but but a lot of musicians have actually done some really yeah. not really cool things to other musicians. It's like okay, like you, you know. But you know that's interesting mm-hmm. the way the industry is. But <laughs> um, so you you actually I'll talk a little bit about your background. You actually have a, a psychology degree, right? I do. I have a psychology degree. This is very true. From the esteemed Clark Atlanta University in Atlanta, Georgia. Woo woo, C A U. Yeah. So <laughs> Shout out to my other HBCUs out in this there. Industry? <laughs> does it help? I'll tell you how it does help. The motto of my alma mater is I'll find a way or make one. That's literally my college's motto. I will find a way or make one. I went to school with DJ Cannon. If you're mm. familiar with DJ Cannon and DJ Drama, uh, they were they're big parts of the hip hop of hip hop and rap music, and they helped to really advance the whole mixtape culture and what uh, current rap culture is today. But anyway, my point is that um, yeah, like it absolutely helps me because it helps to show me not only different parts of my culture that I was not aware of prior to attending the university, but it just really pushed me. And it's a private school. So, you know, I, I didn't go to classes with like hundreds of people. It was very, very hands-on, you know, smaller classroom sizes. I became really close to a lot of my uh, instructors and professors. And they really like, you know, nurtured me and some of them nurtured my talents. I was a part of the Philharmonic Society um, under the direction of the esteemed uh, Dr. Glenn Halsey, uh, who has also passed on, but he really, really pushed us and our voices to become one and to like really listen to each other. So there's so many experiences that I had um, at Clark Atlanta University. Some I'm, I still have relationships with people that I was one of my one of my best friends. Um, we went to school together and there, and it just yes, yeah, it has influenced it helps me. Maybe understand. Right where where people are kind of coming from <laughs> and be able to come up with strategies to maybe negate negative energy or positive energy <laughs> or or handle situations. Um, I'm, a, I'm a sociology major. I, I actually went to a small school in Maine called Bowdoin College and had that kind of experience um, of oh, having the small class nice. size. Um, and, you know, very, compared to my brother, mm-hmm. he actually went to Brown, which was way bigger. And I just couldn't handle the big school. I, I was going to go to a school right. like that, but I liked the small school because I did like being in a class like 15 people, you know, 20 people, be able to go over to my professor's house because the professors like lived on campus and you could go walk over and then discuss something, drink coffee with the professor like on their couch and talk to them. And not a TA, they talk to the professor. But that, exactly. Um, that's interesting. Another fun fact, you mentioned sociology. One thing about going to one of the AUC schools, it's called the Atlanta University Center. You have Spelman, Morehouse, Clark Atlanta University right there together, all clustered 
basically on one big campus. And you also have Morris Brown, who is about to come back. I believe they just got their accredit- accreditation back. Um, however, I could actually take courses uh, on at Spelman and Morehouse, and which I did. And one of the classes that I took at Morehouse oh, cool. was yeah, a sociology yeah. class. Yeah, so I just like sociology. Since you have a sociology degree, all this ma- macro, micro, you know, anatomy, all these ideas about how how people work at a micro level, individual level, and then group societal levels. So it's kind of like a group psych- psychology type yes. of thing, <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and patterns of society. And it, I think as a songwriter, mm-hmm. it actually helped. Exactly. I wasn't actually kind of use it for that. And I use it in the corporate world to do different things I do because that's kind of my day job is, is like in the corporate world. But um, but it's interesting, like what you can take from okay. from your experiences and then nice. put them into art. So I try to take everything I ever, you know, all my inputs. And, mm. and, and kind of pull them in an idea like like the, the Victorian poets used to talk about the muse and you kind of pull your art from the muse and you're kind of like Blake and like Tennyson and all those guys they 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 felt like they were pulling their their creative energy from this this like universal concept and you could just I think a lot of artists pull into that you know a lot of a lot of anybody right. as a creative person they pull from their experience but they kind of are able to tap into that is that, do you feel like sometimes you get as an artist, as like yes. musicians, especially, mm-hmm. do you feel like you're you're pulling on into on something that's kind of coming outside of you and in from inside you? Absolutely, there's both. Both are happening. So one of the things that I love about being an artist and being able to sing and write is the self self expression aspect of it. Like, I love that because so often, and I'm, I'm getting a lot better at it now as I, as I learn and experience and go through life, um, but I've been so much better at writing my feelings and singing my feelings versus actually talking them out. So it's very therapeutic and cathartic, and I'm sure you've heard so many other artists say the same thing how, about how therapeutic it is. And it's a part of that is because, okay, now I can get this thing out that's within me. And then there's also the other people and other experiences that that inspire me like, oh, OK, I had this experience in life or I saw this thing that happened. Now I want to write about this because or now I want to sing about it um, because it, it affected me in some way. Perhaps I resonated with it. Maybe it really bothered me. Maybe it made me feel so great. So now I once again, I want to express myself or I want to I want to bring more attention to that issue oh this is what's okay for instance um trap lady trap lady is one of the songs that's on my project and it's actually my rendition my mixtape version if you will it's it's my version of a bag lady so it's me me paying homage thank you it's me paying homage to one of my biggest influences which is Erica Badu so um you know she did bag lady I'm doing trap lady but in trap lady it, it approaches the song from a completely different perspective. It's like, it kind of keeps certain things intact, like melody wise, but I'm talking about something different. And I'm talking about what's mm-hmm. going, what we see going on in the world right now. So that's yeah. me taking the outer experience and bringing it into my music. Some of those things I'm experiencing personally, but a lot of it is just me yeah, making observations and about, then like, just talking uh, about it on the track. Bob Dylan, as a songwriter, is that he, he could take outside like macrocosm events, you know, and then, 
and then kind of create these stories and mm-hmm. create these characters that are actually involved in these events. Like this guy going to Maggie's mm-hmm. farm. And he ain't going to work on the farm no more because he's being abused on the farm by like a bad structure. But it's making a statement about like like when capitalism is like it's mm. not good and he actually abuses people. Or like what happens with like, you know, uh, you know all, all the all the actual right. protest songs he wrote during the civil rights era. That you know and then and he's able to kind of put himself into the character exactly of another person and tell that story or talk about some outside event and then you know, relate it. And I think that's what the one of the great things about being a, a songwriter or a storyteller or you know, film director, actor, is we take take all these inputs and we were able to, to, to get it out and it's cathartic like you said like a, a lot of what i do in my studio you know I'll do hours and hours of stuff and like part of it's not going to come out part of it's just cathartic i'm just gonna work on designing stuff on my moog i mean i design sounds before i actually play anything because i can build sound waves from scratch and i'll spend hours and hours doing that and it's kind of cathartic just to do it and you know it ends up taking like a couple hours worth of stuff to make something that's five minutes long. <laughs> but, um, you know, but you do it because the actual act of doing it makes you feel <laughs> good because you take all the pressure in your life and, and you can do something that's like positive because you're actually creating something. You know, I think that's the great thing about being an artist. Is you can, right. And then some people don't have that, you know, and maybe they have the fact that you made the music and then that makes them feel good. But um, I think being a creative person, that's always been, something I just I, I, I appreciate and I always like to talk to other pe- creators to find out what their process is and I'm so glad that you you reached out to me to have this conversation because that's exactly what we're doing right now and and I appreciate just being able to not only have the conversation with you it's it's great banter but also um to be able to share my story and and share it with your audience as well i'm always grateful for the opportunity yeah to, so to we're, share we're very excited to have you on so, the show thank and you we will be pushing the links that you gave us there we are able to actually make active hyperlinks on our podcast as i said we are distributed on 11 podcast platforms we are actually part of the spotify family we're actually a subsidiary of spotify but um we'll be on apple music uh, Google Play, nice. uh, like I said, there's 11 platforms. We will send you the Apple Music podcast version uh, link. We will send you the Spotify and the Anchor FM uh, within an hour. It takes a little okay. happens faster to render. Uh, and then we will push it on our, our, our channels on Instagram. And one cool thing is that on Instagram, we have the ability to, to link by highlight to the Spotify podcast version of the podcast. So once we put that up as a story or a highlight, people can just click on that. It'll go right to the Spotify version of the podcast. Okay, perfect. Is there also a capability of um, there being yeah, a hyperlink? Because yeah, I know up, you said we, we can could up, go back and make additions or modifications. It renders within like an hour after we do it. So. Once your video becomes available, we could link to like wherever the video is being played. If it's on YouTube or whatever channel it's on, uh, if you have that link, we can add it. Um, yeah, so we're able to do that, and we can have multiple links on a, on a particular um, episode, and they are clickable within Spotify and Apple Music, which is pretty cool. Um, and I think they are within um, Anchor FM as well. So, thank you for being on the show.
<laughs> my pleasure. I, I definitely appreciate the opportunity. And yes, I would love to, you know, once once I have some things to update, I mean, like the video and um, yeah, we'll make sure that the links are, are right. And I look forward to also promoting the podcast. So once I get the links from you, I'll figure out, you know, how I want to share it on social media. And because uh, content is always needed and necessary. Um, Thank you. Well, and we, of course, we love I'll, to you know, interview artists. You, you know other well, artists so, yeah. um, that you work Sounds with good. that would benefit from being on the podcast. Let them know that we're always looking for guests. And, uh, you know, it's just part of what we do. You know, as an artist, we feel the podcast format is actually giving us another venue to, you know, connect. And so if you find other people that you think that this would help them uh, in their work, let us know. Absolutely. I would love to um, make some recommendations as far as artists that would also benefit from um, from speaking with you on your podcast. I would like cool. to great. I'd like so, to uh, immediately thank you. Came uh, have a great night. We'll get these links to you within the next hour. <laughs>